Beyond all the cameras and screens, viral videos and hashtags, God is at work behind the scenes. Benjamin Franklin said, the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. Whether we realize it or not, even today, if you look closely, you'll find evidences of history in the making. From our studio on Capitol Hill, I'm your host, Brad Wells, with Pastor Mike Cree, Joe Kirby, and Andrew Frydenstein. We're excited to have Chad Conley in studio with us today for a special podcast, History in the Making. Chad, it is so great to have you on this first History Makers edition of the podcast. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, and I'm honored to be here. I love you guys. Y'all are awesome. Pastor Creed and I have been buddies now for quite some time. When I went to the Republican National Committee, we got to meet, and I've had the great privilege of speaking at Awake America and mm-hmm. right. coming to Capital Connection right. a lot. And you and I have been, we've done quite a bit of traveling, <laughs> haven't we? So uh, yes. just honored to be here, guys. So I was uh, the. Wait, the, time out. Do you have any good stories about you guys traveling? Oh, uh, man, you I got to? some good stories. Okay, you can tell us half. <laughs> <laughs> bonus episode. There we go. Yeah, bonus episode. There we go. Edit, I love it. Edit. <laughs> you know, I was born in a little tiny town in South Carolina called Prosperity. Um, Prosperity, I joke, is the home of a few hundred people counting the animals. And uh, there's a traffic light. Sometimes there's cars there. Uh, I don't remember a time I wasn't a Christian. My mom and dad brought me up in church and little country church and outside of Prosperity. They're outside the city. As we say, uh, I do tell people I had a drug problem growing up. My daddy drug me to church and drug me to youth group, and I appreciate that. Now, if I was right, it probably wasn't my idea, you know. And uh, dad didn't have time out; he had wear out, and uh, it was belt clear in loop time. (laughs) And um, and so, after a while, you're behind, and your brain make a connection, and you decide being obedient is just smarter. And um, but anyway, I I just grew up in a God fearing, flag waving. great American home, I think, mm-hmm. oldest of four kids. Um, and my dad uh, lost his job, lost his career. Uh, and I was just out of co- college. I was going to Clemson. I actually got my uh, army officer commission at Clemson through ROTC. Okay. I became a tank officer, the M1A1 tank. I loved making small things out of big objects, you know, creating a lot smaller <laughs> space. And I uh, just love serving the country. Blowing stuff up is great. Blowing stuff up is really cool. And I'm, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm thankful I never had to serve, but thought of, I never had to serve in combat, uh, but sure thought about it a lot. And I was uh, in the Army at a time when President Reagan was the president. You never doubted, man, that guy's got your back. Mm-hmm. And so, mm. but I felt so thankful to be an American. Met Michelle there. Um, we got married, fell in love, got married, and we didn't know how to give back for our thankfulness. So our response was to get involved in politics, uh, not officially, not formally, but we volunteered. Uh, we showed up at campaigns. We knocked on doors. We ran phone banks. We wow. waved signs. Uh, when the boys were born, uh, they grew up with a past fire in their mouth and a sippy cup in their hand and a, a sign on the side of the road waving for somebody. They, <laughs> they didn't know any different. And um, along about that time, I had uh, had the great pleasure. I started my own business, got out of the corporate world in engineering, and I uh, started my own business and started speaking and actually wrote a book about American Christian history and free enterprise. And I uh, had a mentor who was a book publisher, Christian publisher named Charlie Tremendous Jones. I'm sure I've you heard saw that, Charlie. I've heard that name before. And Charlie became a close friend, Had uh, went home to be with the Lord about 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And uh, his wife is actually um, in the transition phase right now. She's in Pennsylvania, but just became a mentor. He helped me publish my book. 
And uh, I was out there speaking in small churches, big churches, uh, some of the small ones, you know, that, man, we, you were fantastic. We wish we could pay you. Had a boy. And, um, but yeah. it, it, it helped yeah. me cut my teeth. Right. Um, sure. And it, it led to some other speaking engagements and a career in speaking and uh, mentoring, coaching, and just felt like I want to give back. You know, this is the greatest, freest country in the whole world. I got really involved in studying history, what you guys are doing. Uh, I came to D.C. a lot, uh, toured by myself. Uh, I was driving up to see Charlie Jones in Pennsylvania, and I would stop in D.C. middle of the night, driving by myself, and walk around the monuments at 2 in the morning. Uh, just things wow. like that that were impactful for me. Uh, and, and, of course, after that, uh, you know, a lot of y'all know the story. I, my wife uh, took her own life in 2006, uh, left me a single dad with two little boys, uh, you know, kind of one of those things you just don't wish on anybody. Yeah. Uh, but watching God work was, you know, and still is amazing. Met a girl who was widowed by suicide. Uh, we got married, been married 12 years. So we have four kids now. And, wow. um, and I can go into that more if you want to talk about it. But after that, got back involved more heavily in politics, ran for state party chairman in South Carolina. And South Carolina was the first in the South primary state, so uh, we were in the spotlight. I did every right. political show on television, uh, left and right. And it's not true that all the media is liberal. Y'all don't. It's only like ninety six or seven percent. It's not. All oh, that's of them. good. Yeah, it's not all. <laughs> <of them>. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I learned it firsthand. I, I got a real dose of it. But out of that, um, I, I was very frustrated at how the Romney team treated the faith vote in twenty twelve. And so I went to see a guy named Reince Priebus, who was a chairman of the Republican National Committee. That led mm -hmm. to the job, which was the first job I'd had in 25 years. I've been on my own wow. since the early 90s. Oh, but goodness. I just felt led to go take that, and I got to be the first ever National Director of Faith Engagement for either party. And that's how I met Pastor Creed and a bunch of you guys doing yeah. that. Now let me ask you this. That's yeah. an awful lot packed in. Yeah, that's just an a couple awful minutes. lot, which is great. But you took us through that story, and I'm sitting there listening to it. And what I want to know is you did all these things. Great. But, you know, you just didn't, you know, of course, we believe the Lord led you Amen. along the journey. No doubt. Uh, but what was it that the Lord put in your heart that you felt, okay, I need to go down this road. And right. I just need to, wherever the Lord leads me on this road, that's what I'm going to do. But I, I've got to go down this road. What was it the Lord put in your heart? You know, I guess we all get to a point where we decide that we're going to be obedient. Our goal is obedience. We want to walk down the path that he makes available. Um, and so I hit that point in my early 20s. Uh, Michelle was a big influence who was just a, an awesome godly lady. Um, but reading some books that helped me clarify that vision, one was Understanding the Times by Dr. David Noble. Right. He used the word biblical worldview. I'd never heard that before. Right. And it wasn't that... I didn't get that, and, and he said people quit going to church. A lot of people drop out of church because they don't think that life applies or the Bible applies their life today. They think the Bible's a collection of stories that that was way back when. And what Nobel made apparent to me was it applies every single day. We just don't dig into it enough to understand. Right. This is what I tell my Sunday school class every Sunday now. It applies to your life. You just got to dig into it. That was on me. So reading the book, Understanding the Times, pointed me toward not looking at the pundits, the polls, the experts, or my friend's opinion. If here's an issue, my job is to put the Word of God on top of that and have that lens to understand it. Not my lens, 
because the gospel of Chad's yeah. going to be wrong every time, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. But the gospel on top of the issue, and that was really what motivated me to get in politics. I, I kept hearing people say, ooh, you know, you can't be political. And I, I came to the point, my God's big enough to be everywhere in everything, 365 days a year, except leap year, 29 hours a day, 17 days a week. And the Matthew 5 verses about salt and light don't have a comma saying, ooh, be salt and light except in politics. And so, so how has your faith that's our uh, problem. influenced you in this, in this journey? How, how are you coming at it day, day to day? Yeah, well, totally, because my faith calls me to action. It doesn't call me to make an impression on the couch. It calls me to make an impression in the hearts and lives of others. Mm-hmm. You know, we, wow. have to go, uh, we have to go win people over, win converts. We have to make disciples. Mm-hmm. And I think we've left the political, the governmental side out of that, quite frankly. Uh, the left and the media have been really good at talking us out of it and intimidating us. So my faith tells me, uh, one time I was speaking somewhere in a secular group, but I, I did my, pretty much my same talk. And uh, this very liberal person came up and told me that I didn't have the right to share my faith. And I said, I'm sorry, what, what do you believe in? Well, I'm an atheist. I said, well, you just shared yours. <laughs> I don't think he might have ever said that to him. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, it, it, I think that we back off as soon as somebody goes at us. But Jesus commands us to go out and tell people and to share and to win them over and to explain. And I think... Most people are right of center in a political sense, but a lot of them don't understand why. And so I think what I was impressed with was to read and to study and to understand and to be able to communicate why I believe that the Bible not only is the Word of God and infallible and inerrant, and it's the only path between imperfect man and perfect holy God, but it's also the answer to the problems over here across the street. And when the more history you study, and and by the way, Mike, this is why the left has worked so hard to take the history out. Because it doesn't take a rocket science scientist to read. Um, Brad just read the quote from Ben Franklin, Benjamin Franklin. That is over and over and over, everywhere over. you step, everywhere you look, everywhere you read. Well, let me ask you this. As you, as you went back and you read history, and, of course, you know, we have Hope From History podcast, and we love history. Is there a particular American patriot that just really speaks to you and still inspires you on a consistent basis? I love a lot of them. I mean, uh, but the one I think I really have come to regard as just the average Joe who, I I, I don't know, I didn't want to say I was a Muhlenberg or anything, but I felt like I was, I could relate to Muhlenberg and I'll tell the story better than I Mm -hmm. could George Washington. You know, what a stud. George Washington, stud. You know, Lincoln and Jefferson and all the, Hamilton and other people. But Muhlenberg, so I was actually here in D.C. on January, the whatever they swore in the new Congress, 1995. Mm-hmm. And I had helped a friend of mine from Charlotte named Sue Meyer get elected. And there was a bunch of us that came up for her inauguration and her swearing in. So I was there when Newt Gingrich gaveled in the first conservative Congress in my lifetime. Right. On January wow. the 3rd or whatever, 1995 at 10 a.m., and I was there at quarter to three the next morning when he gaveled the first day I think day these out. guys were just being born. Or were you yeah, born? they weren't even born. <laughs> Probably weren't even born. And so during the day, I've got time, right? And so I'm I'm just walking around. This is before 9-11. So you could walk around the Capitol. You could walk up the steps. You can walk right. in. It just it wasn't a big deal, yeah. right? And so I'm walking around, and there's a Capitol tour person. They're just in the rotunda. And outside the rotunda, now they've goofed it all up. They've put statues everywhere. Um, there was a, a statue, and at the bottom it just said Muhlenberg. Hmm. Okay, Muhlenberg. 
that doesn't tell me much. But he's got that patriot stud look. You know, they kind of put their hand on the front. and, yeah. and But the, the, the statue's magnificent because there's a cloak around his arms. So I said, hey, uh, tour guide, Capitol Police person, what's the cloak about? And the guy said, it was cold that day. <laughs> now, there, now there's heavy information. <laughs> I appreciate your help. <laughs> so it made me curious. All I knew was every state gets two statues. Right, right. Muhlenberg's there for Pennsylvania. The other person from Pennsylvania is Benjamin Franklin. So I immediately know Muhlenberg is awesome, but I don't know anything about him. So I go study him. Muhlenberg, John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg was a pastor, which I guess is why they want to tell this story, because we pastors can't be involved in politics, Pastor Creed. You know that. Yeah. And so that's total sarcasm. We're on radio. So, <laughs> um, so Muhlenberg was a pastor in a little town called Woodstock, Virginia, which is west of D.C., out 66, and he pastored two churches, a German-speaking Lutheran church and an English-speaking Episcopalian church, which is very impressive for those of us who haven't even mastered the American language. But he's also in the state legislature in Williamsburg, Virginia. And sure enough, when the statue was what it was mimicking, it was cold. It was January 21st, 1776. Muhlenberg's in Woodstock, I mean, in Williamsburg in the state legislature, and they're meeting because war is coming. Right. His brother is Frederick Augustus Muhlenberg. He's a pastor in New York City, but he's a pacifist. Oh, King Schmorge, King George, go along to get along. Don't mm. worry about it. John Peter Gabriel said, they're going to burn your Bibles. They're going to burn your pews in the streets. You're going to agree with me. So John Peter Gabriel is in Williamsburg, rides all the way across the state to Woodstock. That's probably, what, a four-and-a-half-hour, five-hour drive? Yeah, That's it's quite a, a horseback yeah, ride. It's a waste. So on Sunday morning, he pre on January 21st, he preaches these two services. Now, these are the days of uh, elevated pulpits. So he climbs down. He undoes the clasp on his clerical robe, which is the robe that fell to his arms. And he's dressed as a colonel in George Washington's militia. He's preaching from Ecclesiastes 3. And he says, in the language of the Holy Writ, there's a time for everything. There's a time to preach and a time to pray, but that time has now passed away. Now's a time to fight. He's dressed wow. as a, a colonel in George Washington's militia. He marched out the back of the church. 300 men follow him. Men, not males, not boys, not whiners, weenies, and wimps like we see today. Men followed him out the back of the church. And they become the 8th Virginia Brigade. They follow Washington for seven and a half years throughout the war. They get their tails kicked all up and down the East Coast. But John Peter Gabriel, he distinguished himself in battle at Brandywine, at Trenton. They wintered at Valley Forge and at Marstown. Yep. But when you go in that rotunda over there, on the picture of Cornwallis's surrender, you know, when Cornwallis was too much of a, a whiner to go out there and give up his sword, he sent a lieutenant. Mm -hmm. So Washington did the same thing. The fourth guy on horseback from the right is a guy named the Major General the Reverend, Major General John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg. Now, that's wow. cool. He now, was one of 13 Major Generals Washington ever had. And I relate to this guy because he's just a guy who got fed up. And but said, his brother found I'm, I'm, I'm fixing it to that. So I'm getting there. If you get to go to the cloakroom <laughs> behind the House of Representatives chamber, you got to have a member to take it. I've been yep. in there. And you, yep. you go in there, and on the wall is a, a portrayal of, of the first Constitution. And the Constitution is only signed by one person who was the Speaker of the House. Frederick Augustus Muhlenberg, John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg's brother, who did have his Bibles and pews burned in the streets and did get involved in the Patriot cause and went on to be one of the leaders in the early Constitutional wow. Convention. But I guess it goes to show you that story is so 
powerful and potent. People are like, oh, you know, it's, that's history. It's not for today. But there's, oh a my truth, there's a truth to that, though, for people that, that you might think that is that is just because you don't get engaged does, you know, and you ignore someone else doesn't mean that they're going to ignore you. That's right. Just because we sit in our homes yeah. and in our churches and we don't care what happens around the world outside, we may ignore the world, but the world's not ignoring us. It tells me, too, God doesn't need me and you because somebody's going to step up. Somebody's going to respond yeah. to the call and obedience. And I don't know, of all the statues over there, and I love the stories better than how high the building is and what year it was burned, and I'm, those things are important, but the stories yes. are the rich history that we're not teaching our kids enough now. Because I think everybody can relate to a Muhlenberg. He's just a guy. He's doing his deal. He's doing his deal with all he's got. He gets in the legislature. He's pastoring two churches, and that's still not enough. He feels called to serve God by going and fighting for the na- new nation. Wow. Wow. Well, just gives me goosebumps. It's amazing. Well, it just goes to show you also that uh, you know, God may put us on a track. That's right. But we should, God should always, in a, in a sense, we should always be surrendering God to where he can move us in a different direction if right. he wants to. Here's my question. Is this a hard one? What <laughs> is, what is the, the major area or the most important area right now, the direction you're going? You know, um, so I do a lot of stuff, and um, raising money for the 501c3 is to do pastor engagement. You know, it does take money, and you and I have had this conversation. I tell uh, conservative donors they really don't know much about this area, this whole arena. And the other part about it is if they're accustomed to giving money, they're also accustomed to living to the political hacks who advise them. So they're a little bit like fish. You ever been frustrated fishing, fish bite early in the morning, late at night? Right. Mm-hmm. That's because that's when people feed them. I mean, it's just condition. So donors give in election cycles. And I tell donors all the time, listen, you ought to be funding Christian efforts. It is the most underappreciated, most untapped voting block in all of American politics. And when we turn out Christian vote, let's face it, was Donald Trump the best messenger for Christians? Probably not. But he got the biggest percentage of the evangelical vote in American political history. That's right. If that doesn't tell them all you need to know, but when was you it eighty one percent or eighty one percent? If you self identified as an evangelical voter, eighty one percent. Now, see, I had looked at the numbers. Governor Romney got seventy eight percent of those people in twenty twelve and didn't spend a thin dime, didn't message them, not one time. I begged Romney's people to go get a Chick fil A sandwich on Chick fil A Appreciation Day that <laughs> kicked off, you know, and all that hullabaloo happened. Yep. And they refused to go get it. I'm like, come on, it's a chicken sandwich. They just they just were scared to death of their own shadow. Now I have heard that if all the believers voted in the United States that they could literally name the president. Uh, I'll tell you this, George Barna, who I believe has the best numbers, and I've looked at all the numbers. Uh, in my role, I got access to a lot of really neat stuff. Uh, George Barnes says there's about 82 million people sitting in churches. 30 million vote, maybe, in a national election. Wow. So I said on the Huckabee show, Governor Huckabee's Fox News show, Barnes' numbers are 55 to 58 million people who call themselves Christians don't even bother to vote. It's a huge number. So here's what a big deal. That is bigger than any of the special groups that Democrats target. And yet, although we're not Republican, Republicans should target church voters because they already agree with the platform. Yeah. Yes. So there are somewhere, I got some pushback from the, the political expert crowd. 
And so I looked at Pew's numbers, Gallup's numbers, both parties' numbers. They all agree at least 40 million, but maybe as many as 50 million non-voting Christians in America. So when we have frustration over high taxes or you know, porous borders or uh, abortion on demand, yeah. marriage, Israel, it's our fault. It is. It is. It, look, we believe a man named Jesus hung on a tree for me and for you. That's a personal responsibility to become a Christian. Your pastor can't do it. Church can't do it. You can't park in a garage and be a car. You can't go to church and be a Christian. you got to accept and believe and confess. If I believe that's my responsibility to accept Jesus as my Savior, and I do, then i got to believe that the, the course of the country is also my responsibility. I have right. to believe that. And so those are the things that form for me. And they all kind of converged, Andrew. Uh, you know, the Muhlenberg statue, reading the book, um, walking neighborhoods for candidates. Uh, you know, things like that just were really impactful for me to make me go, I have to go do something. I can't sit on the sidelines. Let me ask you this. A lot of times, um, all of us can get in this feeling of just helpless. You know, you're, you're kind of hopeless. Yep. And sure, I can do something, but why should I? Because I can't make a difference. You know, because yep. I'm just, you know, you know, I'm just Andrew. Yep. I'm not that talented. I'm not super gifted or any of that stuff. Have you seen instances where just an average Joe, sorry, Joe. Uh, uh, not that average Joe. Yeah, not, no, Joe is not average. He is above average. That's right. That's right. Uh, but, uh, you know, made a difference. I mean, does it really matter if, you know, uh, a single mom gets involved? I mean, does it, does it matter? You know, there's hundreds of stories. Everywhere I've been speaking, you can hear a story. And you can even break down voter numbers in different elections and show where a vote here, a vote there makes a difference. Um, it, all, it goes all the way down to city council, you know, county council, school board. Absolutely, you make a difference. And here's the other thing. When people are vested in something and they take the time to vote, it's just like if they're giving at church or they're giving to an organization. When people are vested in it, they believe in it, and they, they start talking. Mm-hmm. And they don't realize the power of their words to either encourage or discourage people. And I believe that the, the thing that's misunderstood, and, and I think our pastors fall in this trap, they're so busy, they won't encourage those people to go do that little bit extra to make that one person become the difference. And so they'll let it sit. And Barna also says that the reason people vote primarily is somebody they respect tells them it's important. So a pastor or a wow. deacon, a church leader, a Sunday school teacher can make a big difference. They may think this doesn't matter. But if a Sunday school teacher says, we're going to have 100% voting in here, I'm not telling you to vote for, but you ought to be voting on these issues. And you can decide for yourself who's the one that's most closely aligned to my values. But a Sunday school teacher with 10 or 20 people, and then I'll tell you what, I want you all to go tell five other people. Or somebody who steps up and says, hey, pastor, I'd like to run a voter registration drive. Give me a table I'll put in the back, and I'll get the forms, and I got it handled. Which is completely one legal person. if you do it right. Of course. I, people would be stunned. We did a thing. I, I think I shared it with you, church do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. of what you can and can't do. Pastors would be stunned at what they legally can do. You can stand in the pulpit. Pastor Creed can stand in the pulpit and say, I'm not talking to you as Pastor Mike Creed. I'm talking to you as citizen taxpayer Mike Creed. And here's who I'm voting for and why. Now, I can't endorse on behalf of the church, obviously. But I, as a personal, you don't set aside your free, first speech, First Amendment free speech rights by because you're behind the pulpit. Uh, you can't tell me pastors have told me Chad, thanks for saying in my pulpit what I couldn't say. And I go, brother, 
<laughs> if there's no freedom of speech behind the pulpit, it's not anywhere else either. You yeah. can say it because you listen to him, not them. Yeah. That's but, good that you brought that out because there's so many things that we have, I guess, just believe the lies we've been told yep. over and over and over. So, um, oh, you know, thank you for even bringing that out right here on the podcast. Well, if you can't, I mean, this is so true. Uh, you know, I think, you know, we've all preached. Uh, we've all taught here around this table, and I'm sure many of our listeners. It is an intimidating thing. Sure. To preach and teach anything, and you've got God's word there, and we're responsible for it. But it's also sometimes intimidating, and let's just be honest, at least it is for me, to to say the truth. I know i got to say this, but it is not always comfortable. Yeah. And I think we're in a dangerous spot when we cede ground to Amen. Satan and say we will no longer speak and apply God's word, God's truth, to this entire segment of our life. This is not just some little, I mean, this You're is a right. huge segment of our life that governs us. Uh, and many different aspects. And so, man, we're on dangerous territory when we just say, okay, Satan, you can have that. We give you that ground. We won't fight. We're not going to contend for it because we just don't want to make anyone upset. I mean, what? <laughs> you yeah. know, our, it's, our faith shouldn't be compartmentalized. It should just go into all parts of our right. life, and that is shouldn't be any different there. It's, they try to take it away from us by saying, no, this is our arena. You stay over there, but you know, we've got to bring our, our faith is who we are. Right. It's not just oh, something that I think or believe or think is nice. It's not just a cultural thing. It, it, it makes up who I am, the decisions I make, how I live my life, how I you know, interact with my wife, how I raise my children. It, right. it affects everything. Let me ask, uh, this is for both you, Chad, and Pastor Creed. Maybe you want to, here's a question just hit me. You know, some pastors are going to be, you know, pastors are always striving for balance. There's so mm-hmm. many needs in the pew, so many right. hurting people, and there's so, and uh, rightfully, uh, I think a lot of pastors are afraid of, of coming out of balance and going too far in a direction, um, or maybe they're just not that well informed about the issues. That's and quite frankly, part. it takes a lot of time to keep up on these current issues because we just live everything's just at blinding speed. Yep. How do you, you know, I'm sure pastors have asked you before this, Chad, Pastor Creed, if you want to chime in how you do it, how do you keep that balance and, you know, of saying, okay, I'm going to speak to the current issues, but, you know, to stay enough informed to where you're not misspeaking or you're not misinterpreting what's happening, but at the same time, you know, addressing the whole needs of the church and not just, you know, kind of seeding, going political every sermon. You know, how do you, when pastors ask you that, how do you balance that? I want to hear what you say as a pastor, but I, I, I want to tell you, and, and I've, I've told this to my boys um, in, in our prayer time with our kids and, our, and around our family, I think balance is tough for every daddy, every leader, mm-hmm. anybody that's got responsibility. It's something you better fight. I'm doing a Bible study right now on work-life balance. It's wow. a nine-day study in you version because it is something I wrote down as intentionality this year yeah. in my goals. So that's what a great question. Um, and, and let's face it, pastors are the busiest people I know. You can't go to Walmart at midnight and get a jug of milk. Somebody comes up and says, Pastor, I hate to bother you. And I know Saturday's sermon prep, but my best friend's next-door neighbor's third cousin's getting their Eagle Scout. It's only three and a half hours. I'd like you to ride with me. And it just means a lot. I mean, it's, just, it's on and on and on. Y'all get inundated. I do, what I try to do with my C3, and when I go speak, and we're doing this a meeting like this tomorrow with pastors, is give them information that helps them cut through the clutter and take burden off. 
what, what I really think we work toward, especially around election time, is finding that person in the church who will run voter registration and not be a burden to the pastor. We give the pastor what he needs, but we let him know we don't want to burden you. Who's the person throwing stuff at television who wants to be involved in this? They're mad as they can be about what's going on. My little boy, you can tell you what they heard at school yesterday. The kind of things that are being imposed on us, which are our political, our fault for missing out on. Yeah. So I, I do think it's always a struggle. I think it's something we as men ought to always stay tuned to. Uh, you know, part of my study today was about the Sabbath. Why did God make the Sabbath? You know, for this is to find balance of rest and family and separation time from being in the grind. And I do think it's something we got to work on all the time. We don't need to fall asleep with. And as far as elections and issues, it's impossible to stay on top of stuff, especially with social media. So you, you use organizations like Awake America, you support them, or my organization to give you information to make things easier and streamlined so you're not spending so a bunch of time. So you find someone that you trust and say, okay. That's right. They're spending all this time. They've yep. kind of summarized it, but I know and trust well, they do. these guys, and I look at this. Yeah. So, Pastor Creed, how do you how do you manage that tension? I've come to understand that if you preach the Bible, and people learn the Bible and the truth of the Bible, they don't have any problem on how they're going to vote on abortion. That's right. Mm-hmm. They don't have any problem with that. If they do, there's a real problem. They don't have any problem with the law, Romans thirteen. I mean. Yep. Uh, if you preach the Bible and stand on the Bible, uh, I believe that when I, I every every political year, every time the elections come up, I say vote biblical values. And some people say, what in the world are you saying? I'm saying uh, if I show you the list, you know, which side, wh- where are you going to vote? Yeah. Are you, are you going to vote with murdering babies? Yeah. You know, are you going to vote? Are you going to vote with alternate lifestyles and all this junk that's being thrown on us in our public schools, in our society? Well, God separates that in his word. When do you, though, something's happening right now that's that's, uh, uh, happening in society. How do you gauge, okay, I'm going to address this directly from the pulpit? Okay, you know, there's the general principles, but you say, I'm just going to tackle this head on. I mean, what kind of criteria do you have or do you use for that? Well, you know, I'll be preaching the Bible, but uh, a subject will come up in the United States, something something that we need to mention. And you've been in there. I, there have been times when I've just stopped and just said, hey, this is going on. Yeah, You need to be aware of this. And uh, I can bring out the situation, but I can bring out the biblical side to it. And why? We have a lot of folks in our area that don't, they live in D.C., but don't have a clue about government. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's true. It's really following the Holy Spirit's leading there. Yes. As as a pastor, but also as an individual, and you can't, uh, we've talked about a lot of different things, but God will show us how Mm -hmm. to to have that balance, how to, you know, what to say, what not to say. If we're relying on him and clearly, I mean, throughout the word of God, there's preachers and politicians interacting from the beginning to the end. No doubt. And that shouldn't be any different for us today. And, and I mean, as I've uh, sat in church listening to, to uh, pastor preach, it's not like every sermon is a, you know, political message and about this bill and all the details, this and that. It, it's, it's preaching to people's hearts, to, to the needs of people, uh, what's going on in their lives. And Every now and then, 
you know, he addresses an issue, and people might think completely different from that because they don't uh, don't see the church or watch the live stream. Um, but that's he's Pastor Creed is a pastor first of the church and of the people, yet has a ministry that's dedicated to getting pastors involved in. In, in politics in a way. And so it's, it's a very good balance that God has, has allowed you to, to, to keep and maintain. Yeah. You know, too, what strikes me, um, David Barton, who's become a friend, did two books on election sermons and the, the sermons that pastors of the early founding period spoke on. And if you look at the things those pastors covered, just what Pastor Creed said, you're just preaching through the Bible. You're preaching the whole counsel of God and you're preaching issues that come up because your people need that instruction. And I think what a lot of modern pastors have done is they've taken out the things that are uncomfortable because, like you said, yeah. Andrew, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. And some of the doctrine from some of the denominations that used to be solid is not anymore because they've made it an uncomfortable thing for the, doc, the, the denomination to cover. And so when you look at the old sermons in, in what he covered, they talked about everything. Because yeah. those people relied on that information the pastor was given. Well, I think you guys have, you know, just listen to this. I think the danger that we have in modern America, just tying this up with a bow, is that we just say automatically, some guys might say, well, I'm not preaching anything political. And so it's almost like the Holy Spirit doesn't have a chance to lead us right. in that direction because I'm not going to do it. Well, okay, you know that that's it. I mean, there's no there's no leading. We're not going to. But my be question for them is, what's political and what's spiritual? That's I don't exactly think right. life is political at all. I think it's spiritual. It's been politicized. That's I don't exactly think marriage right. is political. I think it's spiritual. I don't think Israel's political. I think it's spiritual. And I can make that argument over everything on every list. Is if God's everywhere and in everything, He cares about every issue. And so we can't let the media define what we're supposed to speak on. We do need the Holy Spirit's leading, and we got to reply to that. We got to respond to that. So. Chad, let me do this. Why don't you just speak to the average church member mm-hmm. for 20 seconds yep. and just encourage them and share your heart with them? Yeah. Look, if you're sitting in the pews and you care about our country and you love the Lord, then our role is to occupy till he comes and we're to expand his kingdom here on earth. That's what we're here to do. One way you can do it strategically or politically or spiritually is by informing people about issues that impact the church. That's, yes, that's voting, but it's talking to everybody you know about registering to vote and voting those biblical values. It may be showing up to the pastor and saying, what can I do to help you out? It may be showing up to campaigns of political people that you know and you believe in and saying, what can I do to help? Do not sit back. This next election is one of the most massive in our history. They're all important. But this one's big because the left is determined and they hate the things that the Lord believes in and he's created the foundations of the earth and they're against the things that we believe in that are biblical and we've got to stand up and take a stand for those issues this time. Thank you for listening to this History Makers interview. Now it's your turn to go and make history.